0: So, uh, before I get started, though, I wanted to say um, just how much I love you guys. Um, just sitting here worshiping um, and, and, and serving communion just now and just kind of watching face after face kind of approach and just being reminded of why I love each, each one of you. I mean, I feel like with so many of you in the room... Like we've walked a path together, and and when you approach, I can there's I don't just see your face, I see your stories, you know what I'm saying and um and so anyway, I, I love you guys. Um, thank you so I, I wanted to say this too also before we get started. Um, and I'm gonna get this out of the way first. It is uh, election week, Tuesday is uh, election day. And can I just, as your pastor, encourage you as a, as your pastor in our nation? encourage you to take advantage of your God or constitution given right or God given right, however you want to look at that, uh, to go out and and get the vote out this week. And and, uh, I I know we live in cynical times and it's really easy to believe that, uh, you know, your vote makes no difference at all, but it does. And it does, especially this year, especially not just on a national or state level, but on a city level, it really matters this year too. And so, just get out the vote. Um, I, I do this every every time, and, and what I'm getting ready to say is in no way an endorsement of any candidate at all. I don't endorse candidates from up front, and I never will. But I am proud when living hopers decide to step into the fray. I, I am proud of, of, of our church, even if I disagree with their uh, positions or their politics or their party or whatever. Uh, I am proud when living hopers decide to step into the fray. We have a couple of living hopers that you might see on your ballot uh, this Tuesday. One of them is Scott Peterson. He's running for city council. Another one is Brandon Nelson, and he is uh, actually running for state assembly. He, he's a young guy who saw that there was a, an incumbent running uh, uncontested, and so he was like, I'll go get some signatures and I'll run. And so he is, and so he's running for state assembly, and I'm really proud of him for that too. And, and again, not endorsing these guys. These, they may be total losers. They might be total losers. <laughs> Not endorsing them. Talk to them. uh, You look at their websites, whatever. See how they stand on the... See if it lines up with your vision for our country, okay? We all have a different vision for our country. There are Republicans in this room. There are extreme right-wing Republicans in this room. There are Democrats in this room. There are extreme left-wing Democrats in this room. There are socialists in this room. There are all kinds of different people in this room, and we all have a different vision for, for our country, but we can all still embrace each other, and be brothers and sisters in Christ, regardless of what our vision is for our country. Amen? Amen. And so investigate. Now, don't bug them today. Let them worship, okay? Let them, let them worship, but, but get on their websites or give them a phone call or whatever and, and find out what they stand for, but I'm always proud of living hopers when they step into the fray, and so proud of you guys for doing what you're doing. That's great. All right, let's, uh, let's dive in. So for the next six weeks, we're going we're gonna to be going through kind of verse by verse uh, the little letter that we call 2 Peter. Now, <laughs> 2 Peter is, uh, is kind of a, a, it's, it's a short little letter, it's, so it's often kind of neglected in teaching, but man, it packs a powerful punch. It really packs a powerful punch. And I, I, I love this little letter. Peter, uh, as, as many of you may know, even if you're, you haven't been in part of the faith for very long, you may recognize the name of the apostle Peter. Uh, Peter was kind of the chief of the apostles. He was kind of the uh, de facto leader after Jesus died of the church. And uh, the Catholic Church views him as the very first pope, um, you know, the first leader of the church. Um, he was a guy who uh, was a mixed bag of, of uh, personality. <coughs> Pardon me. I got a little something here. It's going to come out eventually. <coughs> there we go. <clears throat> All right. It's going to be smooth from this point forward. So anyway, so Peter was this guy that, um, you, know, he, you know, early on when Jesus called him, he was, he was the oldest of the 12, and he was a guy that oftentimes, I mean, he, he had a lot of passion. And so, like, we love to be, you love to be around people of passion until you don't, right? And that was Peter. Peter was this guy that, he had kind of, I'm sure, a magnetic personality just because he's this person of, of, you know, full of spit and vinegar, and, and, you know, I mean, he's just full of passion. And, 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 but passionate people screw up more than unpassionate people, and that's okay. We need them and all of their passion and all of their screw-ups because they serve, they serve as a guide for where we need to go, and they serve as a guide for what not to do at times. Right, and so we need passionate people in our lives, and Peter was definitely one of those. And so you look at his life, and when he was, when he was, you know when Jesus was on earth, and he's following Christ, and that he had moments of power and victory, and he had moments where he kind of put his foot in his mouth, and and uh, and then you know post resurrection, Peter, when you know after the Holy Spirit comes, uh, he is just filled with the Holy Spirit and begins to lead in ways that I don't think even he knew he was capable of. Uh, and preaching in ways he didn't know he was capable of, and that sort. But he still made mistakes. I mean, he got into a, a bit of a um, an argument with the Apostle Paul at one point because he was out of line over an issue. I'll let you research that one yourself. But it was, it, it, it he was a mixed bag. But he was a great, great man. When when Jamie and I got to go to uh, uh, Italy uh, this last summer, and we spent some time at the Vatican, and you know at St. At Peter's Cathedral, which is Flipping enormous. I mean, it is enormous, and you could fit about 500 of our churches inside that one. I mean, it's, it's a big, big building, but this is, you know, um, uh, historically where the uh, remains of Peter exist to, to this day, and it's a, it's a, it was a really moving experience. I remember that day, Jamie and I uh, spending some time in prayer at St. Peter's, just thanking God for Peter, just spending time just thanking God for the witness that Peter gave us, the, 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 the role he played in passing down the faith to us, and, and it was really, really powerful. So most scholars believe that Peter indeed did write this letter, uh, that, he, that it, was, it was his last letter. He probably wrote it uh, shortly before he was executed in Rome. And, and so he's got some heavy things on his mind. Most of this letter that we're going to be dealing with over the next six weeks is dealing with kind of what was maybe concerning him the most, which seemed to be there was a, a worry or a concern about false teachers coming into the church. And we're going to, we're going to talk some about that in, in, in future weeks. But um, but so he's kind of, this is kind of his farewell letter to the church. And he kind of sent it out wide to multiple churches and it began to circulate and very shortly began to be read in church and, and viewed on par with the other scriptures. Um, but just a really amazing and beautiful man. Amazing and beautiful man. A lot of us have heard the story of that when, when Peter uh, was executed, uh, it said that um, he said, I, I'm not worthy to be crucified the way that my Lord was crucified. So he demanded to be crucified upside down. Um, we there, we don't really know if that's true or not it could be a legend because it doesn't seem to uh, that story doesn't seem to appear for at least a couple of hundred years after uh, Peter died so maybe it's true maybe it's not but um, but it certainly fits in with the character that we see of Peter in, in scripture and, and and that sort of thing so as we dive into the message today we're going to hit the first 11 verses of this little letter and I'm telling you it, it's it's the introduction of any letter in the New Testament tends to be the part people gloss over uh, because it's a lot of, uh, well, it's kind of an introduction. You know, the meat comes later, right? And so, uh, But I'm telling you, when it, as I began to study this, um, these, these 11 verses pack a powerful, powerful punch. There's some gold here that I can't wait to talk about this morning. And, uh, and so let's just do that. Before I read, let's, let's have a word of prayer. Father, we uh, just thank you so much for your word to us, and we ask that you would just guide us through it and uh, that you uh, that it would take root in our hearts and in our lives and transform the way that we live and serve you. Uh, we love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So 2 Peter, uh, starting with verse 1 of chapter 1, says this. Simeon Peter, it was just, that's just an alternative uh, form of, you're used to hearing Simon Peter. Depending on the audience he was writing to, if it was a, a Greek or a Jewish audience, he might use Simon or Simeon or whatever. But he says, so, so, Simeon Peter. Mm a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have t- who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ so in typical new testament letter form he identifies who he is and the one sending the letter and he says i'm Simon Peter and i'm an apostle of Christ a servant and apostle of Christ and then he 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 recognizes who he's writing to. And he and the two is to those who have who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of God and, and our Savior Jesus Christ. Now, I want to stop right there and hit that for just because there's a there's a nugget of gold there. I don't know if you picked up on, but it is really powerful. And it and, and I, I hope this is something that will really encourage you forward in your faith because what he says, the group of people, he, the apostle Peter. The Peter, the most famous, you know, Christian in the world at that point in time, probably. The Apostle Peter says, I'm writing this to all of you who have obtained a faith of equal standing with mine, of equal standing with mine. And the first point I want to bring out this morning is this, is that position in the church does not determine faith. This is a big, big deal, because I think a lot of us kind of default to the idea of if a person is someone like Peter, the apostle, then surely their faith is leaps and bounds beyond my faith. Or if if a person is a pastor or a missionary, then surely their faith is so much greater, more mature, whatever, than my own faith. Or if a person writes books or writes songs or you know performs in concerts or you know whatever it is that we in our christian faith kind of look up to whether it's we look up to in authority or we look up to in some sort of popularity or we or whatever the case may be i think a lot of times our thinking goes that they must have a stronger faith than me for them to be doing what they're doing and peter completely blast that thinking out of the water in the opening verses of his, of his uh, uh, um, little letter here. And he says, no, 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 the people I'm writing to aren't the people that I am so much smarter than or so much more spiritual than or, or ha- I, I have it way more figured out than or whatever. That's not. He doesn't say that. He says, no, I'm writing to the people who have discovered a faith that leaves them on equal standing as, as, as with me. Do you guys know, and and I realize this about myself, and I hope that you realize this about myself, that I am no more spiritual than you. I I, I mean, there's no greater capacity for spiritual maturity in me than what lies in you. My position in this church does not make me the most spiritual person in the room. In fact, I know for a fact That is not true, because I know me. I know me, And and I have conversations with many of you that leave me breathless at times at the depth of your own spirituality. My position does not make me the most faithful or most spiritual person in the room. It just means that I have the gift set to hold this position, and we all have different gifts. We all have different gifts. Some of you have the gift set to do things that I'm completely incapable of doing. And I have a particular gift set that 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 allows me to do this position and hopefully do it well, but it does not mean I'm the most spiritual person in the room. I have I struggle with temptation the way the same way you all struggle with temptation. I struggle with um, letting people down that I love in the same way that you all struggle with letting people down that you love. I, I struggle in all areas of my life in the same way that you all struggle in your life. It's I just have the gift set to hold this position. Now, if I'm honest with myself, do I look at myself as a spiritually mature Christian? Yes, and hopefully that's one of the reasons that the, the church decided, you know, especially those who were a part of the, that decision and bringing me in at the time, The church decided to put me in. They saw something there that was like, okay, this guy's not perfect, but at least he's a mature Christian. But there's billions of mature Christians around. It doesn't make me special. It doesn't make me special. It just means I'm trying the best I can to stay as close to Christ as I can. That's all that means. And every single person in this room can achieve the same spiritual depth and spiritual maturity that I can or other leaders in the church can, or elders or our staff members or whoever else you might look, look to or whatever. There's nothing that sets us apart for these roles that we are in other than the giftedness that God has gifted us with. That's it. That's it. So I, I, I say that just to say, stop playing the comparison game where you're looking around at other people, maybe because of their positions, maybe because of the length of time they've been a Christian, whatever case. Stop playing that comparison game where you're like, I'll never be that, or, you know, I'm growing in my faith, but, um, you know, I'm not growing to that, you know, whatever. Trust me, there's nothing special about this. Interview my wife. She'll tell you. There's nothing special about this. This is just a person struggling the same way you're all struggling, trying to stay as close to God as I can, trying to lead according to the giftedness that God has gifted me with. But there's nothing more spiritual about me than you. There are many of you in this room that are more spiritual than me. I fully recognize that. I fully recognize that. And, I, and I'm so thankful that Peter points that out to us. Okay, okay, I'll stop beating that horse. Here we go. Verse 2. Peter says, may may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. This is his first little dip into what he's actually wanting to say in this letter, and so he starts it off with this. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. Now, spoiler alert. If you don't like spoilers, cover your earmuffs real fast, but I'm I'm getting ready to reveal to you the last verse of this letter, okay? Okay. The last verse of the letter is this, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. So he starts off his letter saying, um, may grace be multiplied to you. He ends his letter by saying, grow in grace. May grace be multiplied to you. Grow in grace. On on either end of this really powerful letter that we're going to spend a few weeks in, I want to focus on that for just a second because I, it's not insignificant. The idea of us growing in grace. A lot of when I first I remember years and years ago, kind of my first major encounter with that verse, particularly the one at the end of the end of the book, um, where he says "grow in grace." Um, I I remember. It, the first time it kind of jumped off the page and into my head and stuck there and made me kind of think about it for a second, I was thinking, "What does that look like growing in grace like how how did, like I feel like I can grow in generosity because i there's something there I control, right? I feel like I can grow in um honesty. I can grow in Maybe patience. I can grow there are some of these virtues that I can grow in because it seems like there are steps I can personally take to grow in that virtue, right? But when I was thinking about like, how do I grow in grace? Grace comes completely from God. What grace is something that seems like it's completely out of my control. How do I grow in grace? And yet here Peter emphasizes it. You know, at the beginning, at the end of this book, what does he mean by us growing in grace? I think, actually, it's the most significant way that you can grow in your faith. The most significant way that you can grow in your faith, I think, has nothing to do with prayer or Bible study or Bible reading or church attendance. And I'm not saying those things are bad. Those things are great. Do those things. Do those things. Those things are going to help you grow too. But I think the most significant way that you can grow in your faith is to get a clearer, more a fuller understanding of the love and the grace of God. That When you begin to kind of tap into exactly how much God loves you and what the extent of His grace, and for those of you that are new to, to kind of Christianity, you, maybe you're a little confused about what I'm talking about. When I talk about grace, what we're talking about is, is it's God's love for us. It's this free gift of love and salvation for us. That's what grace is. God, God's favor on us as His people. And when we talk about the grace of God, and when we begin to get a fuller, more complete understanding, and I think, here's the thing, I, I think as, as kids, um, let's say, you know, maybe you were exposed to church in some way as, as a kid, maybe your parents took you, or you went with your grandma, you know, once or twice a year, or, or whatever, you know, maybe you went to a youth group with friends as, as a younger person. As, as a kid, I just remember my impression of the Christian faith was everything I shouldn't be doing right? That's what, that's what it was all about in my head. And I'm not saying anybody intentionally taught me that, but that's the message that I received, okay? And, and, and so it was, to me, it was just about everything I shouldn't be doing. And so when I did something on that list of everything I shouldn't be doing, then I just felt like a total failure in my faith. I felt like a complete and total failure in my faith. And it wasn't until when I was a young adult, that I, that my view and my understanding of grace began to expand in ways that completely revolutionized my faith. Because when I began to realize that there's nothing I could do to outrun the love of God, that was a game changer. I want, I want you to let that sink into to, to your head for just a second right now. There is nothing you can do to outrun the love of God. Think of you at your worst, most shameful, most embarrassing moment in your life. And that didn't chase God away. He didn't flinch. He did not flinch. His love for you is unwavering. His offer of salvation to you is constant. There's nothing you can do to chase Him away. Nothing. God's love for and, and, and this is what I've learned over, and what I continue to learn over the years is that what started off, like I said, in kind of my early 20s as a, a revolutionary idea of God's grace and what has continued to grow over the last 20-some years into something much bigger and much bigger and much bigger, I, I'll, I'll say this with absolute certainty, that there's nothing that increases my faith more than when my view of grace increases. And some of you are, you find yourself kind of regularly uh, trapped in guilt and shame, looking at, you know, just kind of second guessing your faith, wondering if you have faith at all. And I'm telling you, all of that comes from a low view of grace. Every bit of that comes from a low view of grace. You're like, no, Jeff, sometimes it comes from sin. Sometimes I'm just screwing up and that's where it's coming from. Listen, I'm not saying I don't sin. I sin plenty. I sin plenty. But the difference with when, a per, when a person has a high view of grace, a large, ever-expanding view of God's grace and how much He loves us and cares for us and that gift of salvation, how unwavering it is, when, when that begins to grow and grow and expand and expand, we no longer feel imprisoned by our sins. So, am I gonna screw up? Am I gonna sin against God? Absolutely, I'm going to. Probably more down the road, looking ahead, down in the future, I will sin more times than I am right now anticipating sinning. Okay? It's gonna happen. But the difference is, is that when I do that, yeah, there's a, there's a, there are moments of guilt and shame that might come over me because of my sin, because of how I might have hurt people, how I might have let God down or whatever. But what I know, in, even in the midst of those moments, is the same thing that your three-year-old knows when they let you down is that your mommy, your daddy, you're not going anywhere. You're not going anywhere. And it's the same kind of thing that happens in my relationship with Christ. When I let God down, when I sin against him, yeah, I hate that I did that. Why? Because I know how much he loves me. I know, as we talked about earlier, what he did for me so that I could be in this relationship with him. I know all of that. So yeah, it's disappointing when I do that, but I don't have to be overcome and crippled by that guilt because I know my God's love is unwavering for me, that God loves me. This is the thing. When, when you began your journey in, in walking with God, when you began your journey of faith, you ask, however you want to put that, whatever terminology. I ask Jesus into my heart, or I ask Christ for forgiveness, or I, you know, whatever your terminology is on that. When you began that journey, and you asked for God to forgive you for your sins, that the work that He did on the cross for you to forgive your sins, He forgave your sins, not just all the ones that you committed, but also all the ones that you ever will commit. Your sins are forgiven even the ones you haven't committed yet. You stand in a, um, a position of forgiveness. Forgiveness is not something that is momentary that you kind of have to keep going back to over and over. You, forgiveness is something that has been declared upon you. You are not forgiven in a moment. You, at your very core of who you are for all eternity, are forgiven. That's where you stand. And I think Peter is like, if you want to see your faith grow, get your head to wrap more and more around God's grace for you. Because there's something about that that will add some stability, some steadf- excuse me, some steadfastness to your faith, when you begin to grasp that. And this is what I can tell you is that I've had moments when I think I couldn't, it couldn't get any bigger in my eyes and just wait. Give it a year or two or whatever down the road, and something else opens my my eyes even more, and I realize, oh my gosh, God's grace is so much bigger than even I thought it was, and I thought it was pretty big, right? And and it just continues. I think it's going to be that way till the day I die. I really do. I think it's going to be that way till the day I die. I think that for most of us, we are just scratching the surface of our understanding of exactly how much God really loves us. It's powerful. It's powerful. So, Soak in those waters. Okay, let me let me give you one uh, recommendation to kind of start you on that journey, and you may not like this recommendation. That's okay. We can still be friends. Uh, the game changer for me as a young adult was a little, a little book uh, by Brennan Manning called *The Ragamuffin Gospel*. That book helped me understand grace more than anything else previously. He opened up just the floodgates of what grace really meant. And, uh, and uh, there's some people who are a little uncomfortable with his writing. They'll say, well, he's too much about grace. He needs to, you know, he's talking about some other things. And his response to that would be, he's, he's passed on now, but his response would have been, uh, I wasn't writing a book about that. I was writing a book about grace. You know, so that, that's what that was. But anyway, uh, the Ragamuffin Gospel by Brennan Manning, that's a really great one to go. Okay, so let's dive into more of what Peter has to say here, verse 3. It says, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life, and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Ooh, let that one sink in for just a second. You can become partakers of the Divine Nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort, listen here, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. I want to stop right there for just a second. What Peter does here is he prescribes a lot of times we'll look at those things and look at them as just kind of nice virtues to have in our life. But I think what he's actually doing here is, is, is laying out a path for growth for us. A path for growth. Put up that next slide. I highlighted some of the words here. So you have this. You've got, oh, it may be hard to see, but you've got faith. So when we first come to faith, it's that moment of belief, it's that moment of, okay, I want to follow Christ, I I want to do that. And so this begins, that moment of faith begins to awaken other things, other desires, other uh, priorities in your life, and you you automatically begin to start growing. And one of the first things that comes from faith is this concept of, I want to be a person of virtue. I want to be a decent person. I want to be a good person. And so we begin to think early on in our faith about what kind of things in my life need to change so that I can go from being, you know, maybe the really flawed person I was before to a more virtuous, slightly less flawed person, you know, now, that sort of thing. And so so we, we begin to immediately think about virtue. And then from virtue we, we begin to crave knowledge. We begin to realize there's so much about this faith I don't know. There's so much about Christ I don't know. I don't feel like I know him personally. Who was he as a man? What were the things that were important to him? You know, how can I begin to think like he thought? You know, what what about all the scripture and all the things I don't know about scripture? Maybe I should know. And so we begin to crave knowledge and we want to grow in that and so we begin to do that. And now now here's here's the dangerous part. We've talked about this before. Sometimes for some of us because we are uh, Western thinkers and not Eastern thinkers, knowledge can become the pinnacle of our growth, and it was never meant to be the pinnacle of your growth it 's one of the stepping stones in growing in your faith. Knowledge in and of itself is um, useless unless it 's got surrounded by a lot of other things we 're going to talk about that in just a second so we, we we grow in knowledge because we want to grow in knowledge, and then from knowledge becomes this idea of, of self control we begin to want to th- you know we realize man I am a a prisoner of my own <coughs> decisions at times, and I need to, I need to be, become a more self-controlled person. Maybe it's self-controlled in your anger. Maybe it's with substances. Maybe it's with your pride. Maybe it's with whatever, but you realize like I, just the flesh of me is oftentimes out of control, and I need to be more controlled by the Spirit than controlled by my fat flesh, and so we begin to work that out. And then from self-control comes steadfastness. I don't want my faith to just waver all the time and ups and downs with every circumstance, feeling like I'm weak and I'm strong and I'm weak and I'm strong. I want to I want to have a steadfastness, a faithfulness to God in the same way that He's faithful to me. I, I want I want to be I want my relationship with Christ to be what we talked about earlier. If I, I, we can't scare God off, He's not going anywhere. He's with us. He will always be faithful to us. I want to be faithful to Him like that. I, I want to make sure that no circumstance could ever hit me that would drive me from God. And so I want to grow. In my steadfastness, and from there we want to grow in godliness. Now, this is a weird word godliness. Now, if you've been in church for a really long time, you're so used to this word, it just, it just rolls past you, you don't even think about it. But think about that word. Think about when you tell people that don't know faith, that don't know God, that you want to, you're just trying to be godly. Does that sound a little weird to anybody? Like, like really, you think you can be godlike? really? You can be godlike because I know you. I work with you. I was your brother or your sister. There's not many godlike qualities going on there, right? And so, so the, the idea of godliness, it's, 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 and the, the reason it's kind of a weird term for us is because it's a, it's a word. It's one of those words that there's not a real great exact match for in translation. So the word that Peter used in Greek, there's not a good English match. But the best kind of idea of what he means by godliness is is just a very, a person who is very devoted to their faith, religiously devoted. And they're that person that, that they will not, you know, if it's within their ability and the church doors are open, they're going to be there. Why? Because they're devoted in their faith. If there's an opportunity to give, if there's an opportunity to serve, if there's an opportunity to show the love of Christ, they're going to do that. Why? Because they're, Life has become centered around Christ instead of the things that it used to be centered around. And so they are just highly devoted in their faith. That's what godliness is looking that's the, That's the point he's trying to get. So, so we move into that where we really want to make God the center of everything. And, then, and from godliness comes this brotherly affection where we begin to really care about each other as brothers and sisters. Jesus said, they'll know your mind by the love you have for each other, right? And we begin to really, really genuinely care. So you see a brother or sister in need, and your immediate thought is, how can I help? How can I help? Not what advice can I give you, not what, no, you want, you want to jump in and you want, to, you want to help, you want to serve, you want to love, you want to encourage, you want to you know, maybe sacrifice for a brother or sister, so, so you have that brotherly affection. And then that brotherly affection leads ultimately, and this is the ultimate, not knowledge. This is the ultimate destination of our faith, love. Love. And how do we define love? Because love is another tricky word in the English language. We love, we use this, I use the same word for love. I love my wife as I use for, I love a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And so I think, I think those are different types of love though. Pretty sure, pretty sure. <laughs> Pretty sure, right? So, but what is, what is that level? I, I think one of the best identifiers or, or explanations of the kind of love that it is that we're shooting for as the ultimate destination in our faith is a love that looks like Christ's love for us, the self-sacrificing love. And even beyond that, where Jesus, we, we talked about this in our growth group this last week, where Jesus commands us to love your enemies love your enemies. And he says, anybody can love somebody they like. He said, even the sinners do that. It's easy to love somebody you like. I'm telling you, love your enemies. And we talked about this last Tuesday night, how that's really hard. And I, I hate that Jesus told us to do that. Like it's tough. It's really, really hard. You may agree that it's hard to love an enemy, hard to love an enemy. But Jesus says, I want your love to not just only be about each other and your brothers and sisters and your family or what, you know, whatever people that you love in your life. I want your love to transcend that even to people who would make themselves your enemy. Hopefully, we're not making anybody our enemy. But occasionally, people make themselves our enemies, right? And that it would transcend even that, that we would show love to people that we might consider an enemy. That's powerful, powerful stuff. Powerful stuff, but that is the ultimate goal. Oftentimes, and this has happened in every church I've ever been in, every pastor I know has the same story to tell. It just happens in church life, where a person will go to the pastor and say, <coughs> I think, you know, I think we're, we're, we're going to go to a different church. And there's nothing wrong. You know, if, if you feel led to go to a different church, fine, I'm not going to fight you on that. But sometimes somebody will say, well, I, feel, I feel like we're going to go to a different church because, um, I just feel like we need something deeper. I'm telling you, every pastor I know has this story to tell. I, I, I just feel like I need something deeper. And, and what they usually mean is, I want some more uh, Bible study. Or I want some more, you know, what whatever, just something... I want to dive into the nooks and crannies of the word and really pick it apart. And, you know, I, and and I feel like all we ever talk about is love or all we ever talk about is grace or you know, whatever. And that's all good. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I just want to go deeper. And so I feel like maybe this other church would help me go deeper. And I'm just going to tell you, and Peter's going to tell you this morning, there is nothing deeper than love. And a person who wants to go deeper than love does not understand love. There's nothing deeper than laying down your life for someone else. There's nothing deeper than serving someone in love. There's nothing deeper than the love of God for us. You want to, you want to know the deepest concept in all of Scripture? It's not the end times. It's not... You know, Calvinism versus Arminianism, it's not any of that. The deepest concept in all of Scripture that man will be scratching his head for all of eternity trying to figure out is how could a perfect, holy God love me? That's as deep as it gets. And you trying to make it deeper, I'm just going to be honest with you, borders on sin. Borders on sin. Because you want to make it something, you you want to make your highest ideal knowledge. And I'm going to tell you, knowledge is great. I'm a big fan of knowledge. I'm trying to increase my knowledge all the time. But you know where I know I need to increase? Love. Easy to increase knowledge. Listen to a podcast, read a book, take a class. Easy to increase knowledge. Love. There's no podcast for that right? I mean, there's, no, there's, no, there's nothing anybody can give me that's going to increase my love. That's a work of the Holy Spirit in my life that has to transform me into a more loving person, to take me from the beginnings of a faith to a, to a person who is marked by love that looks like Christ's love. It does not get deeper. Than, chase that. Chase that. I'm not, I'm not discouraging you to try to grow in your faith. Please, grow in knowledge. Grow in all of it. Chase love, and I'm going to tell you, if you think you found something deeper than that, you're, you're a part of the wrong faith. You're a part of the wrong faith. That's the deepest thing about us. And it's also the hardest thing for us to get. And I'll be chasing it for the rest of my life. And if you're honest with yourself, you'll be chasing it for the rest of your life too. You just will. Now, I'm not saying, you know, I'm not saying my preaching or whatever teaching you might experience here at Living Hope is, is the deepest you'll ever find. Don't look anywhere else. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying, if you want to go deep in your faith, then look to what's actually going to take you deep in your faith. And that is growing in the grace and the love of Jesus Christ. Amen? That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. Now, oh man, I'm so late. I don't even have time for this other point. <sighs> nah, I can't talk that fast. This was a big one. I told, I told Rob I was going to go long today. Um, yeah, it's so big that I'm gonna to have to put it off till next week. So, so just be here next week. Um, now, nah, if I if I preach this, we'll be here till the start of the next service. So, um, no, it's 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 a big point. So we're, we'll hit verses eight through eleven next week. I'm sorry, um, but love is a good place to end. Amen. All right, all right. So take that one, soak in that one. We'll get to verse eight next week. It's it's a doozy. I promise, man, it's, this was the part I was looking to to most to get into, and I talk too much. Okay, so I love you all. I love you very much. We'll get to verse eight next week. Bring a friend. It's good stuff. Um, And uh, really theologically deep. I'm excited about it. So, all right. I'm disappointed too. Don't, I get you. I'm disappointed too. All right. (laughs) Let's pray. Pray with me as, as we dismiss. Actually, let's pray this prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Father, your word is good even if we don't get to finish it. And uh, and so I pray that you would just uh, help us to grow and the knowledge that we, the, the, the faith that you make available to us is the same faith across the board. My faith is the same faith as Peter's, is the same faith as anybody else sitting in this room or anywhere else in the world that's worshiping you this morning. Um, and we thank you for that, God, that you do not set up some sort of system of hierarchy in your kingdom, but that the foot of the cross, that ground is level to all of us. And so uh, we praise your name for that. And thank you so much for calling us to a love that honestly seems impossible, seems beyond us. And God put within us a, a passion, a burning in our, in, our, in our guts that would cause us to chase after that love for the rest of our life. Not only to chase after it in terms of understanding your love for us, but that, that, that as we begin to understand your love for us more, the result would be a transformed life that loves everybody around us more. So God, give us your love, not just any love. God, save us from the love of TV and movies. Protect us from that garbage. But God, install in us a love that transcends everything, that transcends whether we like a person or not, that transcends politics, that transcends um, whatever we might argue over in this life. God, give us a love that is ever growing and ever looking more like you. And uh, I'll, I'll do my best to chase that the rest of my life. So we love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God is good. Amen. All right. Next week, same bat time, same bat channel. See you later.